I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Previously On, a podcast series created to help you through some of the most complex yet brilliant television ever made. Stranger Things. Complete Season 1. It's November the 6th, 1983, and we're in Hawkins, Indiana. All is quiet outside Hawkins National Laboratory, but inside a scientist is running for his life. He scrambles for a lift, relieved when the doors open. Something unseen on the ceiling grabs him and yanks the screaming man off the floor. In a suburban house, we meet four boys playing Dungeons and Dragons. These are Mike Wheeler, Dustin Henderson, Lucas Sinclair, and the unfortunate Will Byers of the title. In the game, a fearsome demogorgon approaches, but Mike's mum appears just in time to tell them it's game over for the night. So the others get on their bikes and ride home. Dustin and Will race home, with Will speeding off down a lonely road near the Hawkins Laboratory. His bike lights flicker off and a mysterious figure in the road scares him and makes him fall into a ditch. Inhuman chattering sends Will sprinting to his house where he locks the doors and calls for his mother. The figure prowls outside as a chain on the door slides off on its own and Will runs out of the back door and into the shed searching for a gun. He loads the rifle and points it at the door as a glowing light surrounds him. Suddenly, the shed is empty. See you, Will. Will's busy mother Joyce and her brother Jonathan don't notice Will's gone until the morning. When the boys turn up for school, they're met by bullies and their worries for Will have forgotten. Also in the school are Mike's sister Nancy and her best friend Barb. Nancy's distracted by a new relationship with popular kid Steve, who meets her in the bathroom. Chief of Police Jim Hopper wakes up next to a pile of empty beer cans and realises he's late for work. At the police station, he's met by a frantic Joyce, but he thinks her ex-husband, Will's dad, probably just took him out for a while. At Hawkins' laboratory, Dr Brenner leads a team of scientists and soldiers in protective suits into a high-quarantine area. In the misty underground tunnels, they find a hole in the wall with pulsating tendrils of living matter growing outwards. Someone asks after a girl that seems to have gone missing. A young girl with a shaved head and wearing a hospital gown walks out of the woods and into a diner belonging to someone called Benny, who catches her stealing from his kitchen. Back at the school, the boys talk to their science teacher and are excited that their ham radio kit has finally arrived. Their fun is broken up by Chief Hopper, asking them about Will's disappearance. Benny feeds the mysterious thief and finds the number 11 tattooed on her arm. He calls social services to come and help her. 
while out of the room, Eleven glares at a noisy fan until it judders to a halt. Will's bike is found abandoned in the woods. Joyce calls her ex-husband for information, not knowing that every phone line in the town has been tapped by a shadowy team of observers. When Chief Hopper checks the shed, the lights flicker and something slithers in the dark, but he finds nothing. The police scan the forest for Will and the boys form their own search party. Steve is spotted sneaking into Nancy's room where Nancy's more interested in studying than kissing. Benny at the diner lets a lady from social services in. As he turns his back, she shoots him dead. The young girl known as Eleven flees as Dr Brenner and his team arrive using her telekinetic powers to kill two agents. Joyce and Jonathan are searching for the perfect photo of Will to use on their missing posters when the phone rings. Through the static, Joyce is sure she can hear Will's breathing, but the phone electrocutes Joyce before he can answer her. In the gloomy woods, the boys are afraid and ready to turn back when monstrous noises draw their attention. They find themselves face to face with Eleven. We begin with Mike, Lucas and Dustin questioning a scared and cold-looking Eleven on where she came from. Lucas wants to tell Mike's mum, but Mike says they can't. The boys went out searching for their missing friend Will in the last episode without their parents' permission and could be in for a grounding if they get found out. Mike plans to hide Eleven, or Elle as he nicknames her, for the night and get her help in the morning. Will's mother Joyce is understandably panicking about her son's disappearance. Chief Hopper comes to the house to investigate the call that blew up her phone the night before. Hopper blames it on a storm and a prank call, but Joyce insists that she knows the sound of her son's breathing before asking if Hopper wouldn't recognise his daughters. Looking hurt, Hopper agrees to investigate. Mike feeds Eleven a breakfast of Eggo waffles and tries to get her to go outside, saying that if she just knocks on the door and asks for help, he can help her. But Eleven refuses. There are bad people after her. She mimes being shot in the head. At Hawkins' lab, Dr Brenner listens to the phone call Joyce made to the police. Nancy gets invited to Steve's house for a party. His parents are away, but before Steve can elaborate on what might happen without parental observation, they see Will's brother Jonathan putting up missing posters. Nancy goes over to be friendly as the others just stare at him and call him creepy. He is a little bit. Dustin and Lucas see Mike's empty desk and wonder if his stupid plan went wrong. Mike, however, has ditched school to stay with Eleven. She discovers the joy of reclining armchairs, but also spots a photograph of the four boys. She points to the missing Will. Mike's mum returns home, forcing them to hide. Joyce turns up at the shop where she works. She needs to buy a new phone. She also needs an advance from her boss to pay for it. While she's negotiating, Dr Brenner and his team search her home looking for something. In the shed where Will vanished, their senses go wild. The same strange biological gloop growing in the lab is oozing out of the shed's wall. Mike forces Eleven into a closet despite her fear of closed doors. She hyperventilates and flashes back to her time in the lab. We see two men drag her down a corridor as she calls to Papa, revealed to be Dr Brenner. The men lock her in a dark and tiny cell. At Benny's diner, Chief Hopper finds the owner slumped over a table, a gun clutched in his hand and a bullet hole in his head. Someone has staged Benny's death to look like a suicide. Hopper questions one of Benny's friends who says there was a boy in the diner yesterday. Hopper assumes it was the missing Will and sends out more search parties into the woods. They discover a clue in a pipe, a pipe that leads to Hawkins' lab. Mike tells Luke and Dustin about Eleven's reaction to Will's photo. 
Lucas insists they tell Mike's mum, but Eleven uses her powers to slam a door in Lucas's face when he tries to leave. Nancy can't face going to Steve's party, so insists on her friend Barb coming along with her. A nervous Barb feels like an odd one out as the others chug beers. Jonathan watches the party from the woods and takes pictures creepily. Barb manages to cut herself, so goes inside as the others dive into the pool. Turning the boys' Dungeons and Dragons map over, Eleven explains that Will is somewhere else, the Upside Down. She says he's hiding. When the boys ask who he's hiding from, she picks up a monster, the Demogorgon. Joyce is sleeping and clutching a new phone when she gets another call. Weird animal noises and breath come through before Will speaks. Electricity shoots from the receiver and the phone dies as the lights in the house begin to flicker. She follows the lights to Will's room. The walls bend outwards as if something is trying to break through. Back at the party, Nancy's having fun with Steve and she tells Barb to go home without her. From a distance, Jonathan takes one last picture of Barb sitting alone by the pool before he leaves, so he's not there to see the monster that snatches her. We begin with Barb in a whole world of terrifying weirdness. She awakes in the gloom and begins to call for Nancy, getting increasingly louder and more fraught as each second passes. Her calls become screams, however, when she bumps into the monstrous creature. Nancy, however, is otherwise preoccupied, getting physical with Steve on his bed back at the party. We skip between this make-out session and Barb's get-me-the-hell-out-of-here session. Searching for escape, Barb finds a ladder and climbs it. Reaching the top, we see she's in Steve's pool, but it's some dark, horrendous alternate version of it. She screams and gets dragged back to the depths by the creature. At Will's house, Jonathan is woken by his mother's voice from another room. He sees Joyce sat surrounded by lamps pleading for Will to speak to her. She ushers him in and explains in heartbreaking desperation that Will's trying to communicate to her through the lights. She urges Will to speak and a bulb does kind of flicker, but Jonathan's sceptical and saying it's the electrics playing up. They end up arguing and concerned for his mother's mental state, he insists that she stop. Mike, Dustin and Lucas are planning to meet Eleven after school so she can lead them to Will. Before leaving, Mike tells Eleven to meet them at the power lines behind his house at 3.15, giving her his digital watch and saying to find them when the numbers read 3.15. Back at Mike's, Eleven's making a blooming Millennium Falcon levitate in the air before her. Oh, the cultural touch points. Quickly bored, however, she decides to explore the house. Skipping through the TV channels, she stumbles across an advert for Coca-Cola and experiences a flashback. Sat at a table in a lab, some strange science contraption attached to her head. Eleven is tasked by men behind glass to manipulate a Coke can with her telekinetic powers. She crushes the can with her mind, but as Dr. Brenner, or Papa to her, grins and nods, she notices her nose is bleeding. Joyce, meanwhile, is acting like a mother on the brink. Digging out the Christmas decoration, she begins to frantically nail fairy lights up in the living room. She's not satisfied with the end results, though, and heads out to buy more. Chief Hopper manages to talk his way onto the grounds of the Hawkins laboratory in his search for Will. He gets shown some CCTV footage of the night that Will vanished, but as they leave, Hopper tells his officers he noticed there was no rain on the footage and it was chucking it down that night. Mike, Dustin and Lucas search for decent slingshot stones at school, you know, just in case the Demogorgon is real, when they're approached by a couple of bullies. The pair tell them Will is already dead, and as Mike walks away he gets tripped up and hits his chin on a rock. Lucas picks up the rock and after close examination, declares it ideal for the slingshot, labelling it the monster killer. 
Jonathan develops the film from his photographs in the school darkroom, but gets interrupted and has to hurriedly pull the images down. They include shots of Nancy through her bedroom window. Back home, Joy stands under the gentle glow of seemingly thousands of fairy lights. They're on every wall and ceiling. They actually look quite nice. Chief Hopper and Officer Powell pay a visit to the library in search of old news stories concerning Hawkins' laboratory. The search highlights Dr. Brenner as a person of interest. Joyce gets a visit from a friend and her young daughter. As they sit chatting, the little girl notices fairy lights suddenly blink into life along the hallway and gets up to investigate. The lights lead her to Will's room, so she goes in to see lamps blinking on and off in some sort of wonderfully paranormal light show, but the room suddenly goes dark. The little girl is drawn to a wall. She watches in frightened awe as it distorts in front of her. But before anything else can take place, the girl's mum and Joyce burst in. Joyce begins to excitedly question the girl on what she saw, and then asks them to leave. After calling Barb's mum, Nancy finds out she didn't go home after the party. Getting worried, she fobs Barb's mum off with a lie that her daughter is at the library. Jonathan is confronted by Steve about the photographs. He has his bag grabbed and Steve takes the pictures, beginning to flip through them. Nancy walks over and is shown a picture of herself undressing. Ugh. Before leaving, Steve rips the photos up and smashes Jonathan's camera. Noticing Barb is in one of the photographs, Nancy picks up a few of the pieces before catching up with Steve. Eleven paces anxiously at the power lines as she waits for the others. A cat growls at her, causing another flashback. She's wired up again, only this time she sits before a caged cat. Dr. Brenner's watching. Crying, Eleven removes the headset and shakes her head at an unimpressed Brenner. She's then shown being dragged away screaming by two orderlies and thrown into a cell. However, before they can shut the door, she flings it wide open with her powers, throwing one orderly into the wall. The other pulls a stun gun, but with a shift of the head, Eleven breaks his neck. With blood at her nose and ears, she watches as Brenner appears in the door. He declares her incredible, lifts her into his arms and carries her out like a doting father. She returns to the present as Mike and the gang turn up. Nancy's at Barb's car looking for some clues as to her whereabouts. At Steve's pool, she hears a noise from the forest and goes to investigate, but a sudden movement nearby soon has her running scared. Joyce watches as fairy lights begin to illuminate in her home, leading her to a crawl space. She grabs a handful of lights and heads in. Asking if her son is there, the lights spring into vivid bright white in her hands. She asks for Will to blink the lights once for yes and twice for no, getting a positive response. Joyce asks if he's alive. The lights flash once for yes. Momentary joy is cut short, however, as when she asks if he's safe, the lights blink twice. A distraught Joyce desperately pleads with Will to tell her where he is. We leave her painting the alphabet on a wall, hanging lights to correspond with each letter. Would you believe it? <laughs> Eleven leads the boys to Will's house, telling them this is where he's hiding. The boys don't believe her, and an argument starts up, but it's broken when an ambulance and police car scream by, sirens blaring. The gang head off in pursuit. Joyce stands in front of a newly painted fairy light Ouija board and asks Will where he is. The lights spell out right here. She's delighted, agitated and confused, so asks Will what she should do. The lights spell out run, and a terrified Joyce watches the same creature that Bob saw earlier push through the wall behind her. Chief Hopper, Mike, Dustin, Lucas and Eleven watch a boy's body being pulled from the water. Mike's in denial that it's Will, but quickly realises that it is their friend. 
He snaps at Eleven, who said Will was alive, and then races home and weeps in his mother's arms. <laughs> Joyce runs from the creature into her son Jonathan's arms. He holds her, as behind them, police lights approach. We begin in the aftermath of the recovery of Will Byers' body. The police are at Joyce's house. Inside, Chief Hopper stands with Joyce in front of the wall that's got an odd habit of distorting and occasionally letting scary, blood-chilling monsters pop through. She listens in disbelief as Hopper explains a body has been pulled from the water at the quarry, how Will must have accidentally fallen in. Fraught, Joyce explains it can't be Will, as she was talking to him only half an hour ago. She shows Hopper the lights in the crawl space, the fairy light alphabet, the wall that birthed the monster. He watches a mother seemingly coming apart at the seams in the grasp of grief. He comforts her, explaining that he went through something similar after the death of his daughter Sarah. After he leaves, Joyce takes an axe from the shed and sits in silence upon the sofa. Will is at home in his basement with Eleven. She fiddles with a transistor radio and he loses his temper, still angry from his belief that she lied about Will being alive. Suddenly, Will's voice echoes from the radio and Mike looks up in shock. Eleven's nose is bleeding as Will sings a clash song. Mike grabs the radio and talks excitedly, but Will's voice is replaced by the familiar crackle of static. At the coroner's office, Hopper learns that Gary, the autopsy guy, has been sent home and replaced by someone from State. Joyce and Jonathan arrive to see Will's body. As Hopper and Jonathan discuss Joyce in the waiting area, she storms in, shouting at the coroner that whatever they have in there is not her son. On the way home, Joyce and Jonathan have a heated argument about Will being dead or alive. Mike, Lucas and Dustin have ditched school and sit with Eleven in Mike's basement listening to whimpering sounds coming through the radio. Lucas is sceptical that it's Will. Mike, however, forcibly insists that their friend is alive. A plan is hatched to get Eleven to a stronger radio, just like the one they have at school in AV Club. Concerned that Eleven will stick out like a strangely silent telekinetic kid in an average kid convention, the boys deliver a makeover in preparation for sneaking her into school. The end result, including a long blonde wig, is not dissimilar to what happened to E.T., but considerably more effective. Deep inside the Hawkins laboratory, a scientist pushes through the pulsing membrane exterior of the gloopy thing and heads inside. During radio contact, the scientist is suddenly panicked, shouting that something else is in there with him. Anna screams to pull him back out, but after a small commotion, all that returns is a limp, blooded tether. As Nancy is questioned by police at school, she learns that Barb's car has gone. Back at home, she pieces the last picture of Barb back together, noticing something that looks a lot like a strange creature at the edge of the shot. At a special assembly for Will, Mike and Eleven watch the bullies from earlier mocking the event. Mike confronts them, pushing one to the floor. As he rushes to pound Mike, the bully freezes solid then wets his pants in front of the whole school. Mike looks to Eleven as she wipes a small trickle of blood from her nose. She's certainly got flair, that one. Nancy shows the image of Barb to Jonathan. As they talk, the pair realise what Nancy thinks she saw in the forest near Steve's is remarkably similar to the monster Joyce saw. Hopper tracks down the officer who found Will's body and casually joins him for a beer. He realises he's being lied to about the discovery, but is told to leave it alone. Instead of doing that, however, he decides to beat the truth out of the man outside. The man admits he was told no one should be allowed near the body. A car engine starts behind the pair, and as it drives away, the officer declares Hopper is going to get them both killed. The gang have got their powerful radio unit in school. As Eleven sits, she has a flashback to the lab. 
Brenner is asking her to find a man on a photograph and listen to him, then repeat the words back. She finds him in a room reading aloud. Brenner asks her again to repeat the words, but instead, Eleven transmits them through the speakers, much to Brenner's surprise. Back in the school, Eleven begins to transmit a loud, steady banging noise. Joyce hears the same sound in her house coming from behind a wall. Everybody then hears Will calling for his mum. Joyce tears down wallpaper as she desperately searches for him. Then she sees him. A terrified Will is behind a membrane like the one in the lab, shouting that something is coming. Joyce screams at him to run and hide and that she'll find him. As the wall seals over again, the AV unit at the school bursts into flames. Eleven is in a bad way, blood coming from her nose and completely drained. The boys carry her from school. Joyce, meanwhile, takes her axe and breaks through the wall, only to see nothing but the daylight outside her house. Defeated, she begins to weep. <laughs> Elsewhere, Hopper breaks into the morgue, retrieves Will's body and cuts him open. He's stunned to find white cotton stuffing like a teddy bear. He heads to the lab and begins to cut through the chain-link fence. And we're back at Hawkins' lab, where Chief Hopper is sneaking into the building. Knocking out a guard to get a keycard, Hopper makes it to the restricted areas beneath the building. Joyce and her ex-husband are drinking away their sorrows on the eve of Will's funeral. Lonnie tries to convince her that she's been imagining everything. The boys are back in Mike's basement with Eleven and remembering what Will told them about the empty and dark places stuck in. Eleven calls it the Upside Down and the boys search their Dungeons and Dragons books for descriptions of similar shadowy realms. Hopper searches the darkened corridors under the lab he finds the portal to the Upside Down and reaches a hand into the slimy passage, but a man in a hazmat suit appears behind him and injects something into his neck to knock him out. Jonathan finds his slimy dad at home still comforting Joyce. He tells him to leave, but Lonnie slaps him down and tells Jonathan to stop feeding Joyce's hallucinations. The funeral for Will brings everyone together. The boys, convinced Will is still alive, look forward to telling him about all the girls who cried over him. After the funeral, Jonathan and Nancy discuss where to look for Barb while avoiding the monster. Jonathan decides the best way to take down an interdimensional being is with a pistol. Hopper wakes up in his house, a puncture mark on his neck confirming that he was drugged. Rampaging through his home, he destroys everything before finding a listening device in his lampshade. Dr. Brenner listens to a recording of the boys talking with Will over the school ham radio. He thinks Eleven must have been there and sends one of his men to investigate. The boys corner their science teacher at the wake and ask him if it's possible to cross between worlds. Apparently the only way is to create a tear in space-time, so the boys go to Eleven to see if she's that powerful. Cops show up to Hopper's place to report two hunters have gone missing in the woods. Also, Barb's car is found at a bus station. Perhaps she did run away after all. Lonnie is fixing the hole Joyce put in the wall in the last episode and starts to talk about the mining company. Will's death apparently is their fault because they didn't put up any warning signs around the pit where Will was found. Spotting the warning sign of her own, Joyce realises Lonnie is only there to make money out of a lawsuit and kicks her ex-husband out of the house. Eleven doesn't know how to get to the upside down, but Dustin figures out a way to find the entrance. His compass isn't pointing north anymore. All they have to do is follow that needle. In the woods, Eleven panics. She remembers Dr. Brenner putting her in an isolation tank. With her mind, she twists the direction of the compasses. Lucas realises this and calls out Eleven. Hopper turns up at Joyce's house and reveals he saw Will's body and that it was fake. Lucas shouts at Mike for trusting Eleven. The two fight and Eleven throws Lucas off with her mind. Mike snaps at her and she flashes back to her time in the tank when she heard the noises of the Demogorgon. 
Lucas wakes up and storms off. Only then do Mike and Dustin realise that Eleven has run away. Nancy and Jonathan are searching the woods for Barb when they stumble upon a dying deer. The monster snatches it and drags it away. Following the trail of blood, they find a portal to the Upside Down. Nancy climbs straight into the hole, as you do. Now inside the other world, she sees the monster eating the deer. Demogorgon spots her, and she screams. Back in the real world, Jonathan hears Nancy's screams and calls out for her. Behind him, the portal to the Upside Down begins to close. Still trapped in the Upside Down, Nancy is running and calling out for Jonathan while he searches for her in the woods. Hearing his shouts, she finds the portal and crawls out, just ahead of the monster tracking her and moments before the passage seals shut. Steve drives by Nancy's house to check she's okay. Through a window, he sees Jonathan comforting a terrified Nancy and concludes she's cheating on him. Jonathan does spend the night in her bed, but only to reassure her there are no monsters under it. Nancy doesn't want to wait for the monster to come to her. She wants to lure it out with blood to help them rescue Barb. Chief Hopper describes the mysteries of Hawkins' lab to Joyce and the child's drawing he found there. Joyce shows him one of Will's drawings. Hopper realises Will was not in the lab. He remembers a woman, Terry Ives, who sued Dr. Brenner after her child was kidnapped. An agent from the lab, disguised as a helpful ham radio specialist, pays a visit to the boy's science teacher. She wonders whether he might be able to tell her about any children in the area who might be interested in joining her club. The teacher can think of a fair few. Mike is moping in his home remembering how Eleven ran away from him. Dustin demands he apologises to Lucas for their fight in the last episode. In a flashback, Eleven remembers a time Dr Brenner forced her to make contact with the monster in the Upside Down. She awakes and wanders into town to steal some Eggo waffles. She's nearly caught but uses her mind to smash the doors of the store. Lucas will only accept the apology if they promise to all forget about Eleven, but that's not something Mike can do. Dustin uses Dungeons and Dragons to explain the dangers of splitting up. Mike sees Eleven as a valuable weapon against the Demogorgon, but Lucas just thinks she's dangerous. He goes off to search for Will alone. At Terry Ives' house, Hopper and Joyce arrive to ask her questions, but Terry's sister reveals she's nearly catatonic. She hasn't spoken in five years. Terry's sister explains her history. She was part of MKUltra, a CIA-funded experiment that used psychedelic drugs and isolation tanks to try and produce psychic powers. Terry didn't know at the time that she was pregnant. She supposedly miscarried a child in the third trimester, but she insists her daughter, Jane, will be coming home to her. And when she does, Jane's going to have special powers. In an army supply store, Jonathan and Nancy stock up on monster-fighting gear. With petrol, a bear trap and some ammunition, they think they're all set. On the way out, they see some graffiti suggesting Nancy's rather promiscuous. Steve and his friends are spraying it all over town. Nancy confronts them as they paint up a message calling Jonathan a perv. Jonathan beats Steve brutally and the police arrest him. Lucas uses his compass to track down the gateway to the Upside Down. It's in Hawkins' lab. Feasting on Egos in the woods, Eleven hears Dustin and Mike calling for her. Some bullies also hear them and pull a switchblade on them. The boys run away, making it to the quarry in the lake. Dustin gets grabbed. Mike's forced to jump, otherwise Dustin gets cut. Mike plunges off the edge, only to be caught mid-air. He floats back up as Eleven breaks the bully's arm with her mind. Eleven apologises. She remembers how she touched the monster in her vision, and it was that which let it come through into their world. She thinks she is the monster for letting it in. Mike says, nah, you're a hero. The boys and Eleven are spotted returning to town. 
At the lab, people grab their guns and drive out, heading straight for them. We begin with a tender moment between Mike and Eleven, rudely interrupted. Just as the pair seem about to kiss, a wild-eyed Dustin bursts in with news that Lucas is in trouble. A hysterical Lucas shouting something undiscernible crackles through the radio transmitter in Mike's home. We cut to Lucas riding his bike like a kid possessed as he shouts his warning that the baddies are coming. Mike and Dustin look outside and see a Hawkins lab van parked up. As Mike runs to ask his mother about it, Dustin watches in terror as a whole fleet of vans arrive on the scene. Mike, Dustin and Eleven dash from the back door, grab their bikes and attempt to escape. Eleven looks back as the men from the vans approach and locks eyes with Brenner. As the kids pedal like the wind, the men race back to the vehicles to give pursuit. With the vans hot on their trails, the trio cut through the trees, catching up with Lucas as they go. The baddies turn around a bend and close in again. The kids put Trainer to pedal, but another van appears in front of them, making like it's going to mow them down. Moments before the impact, the vehicle suddenly flips and sails straight over the stunned kids as Eleven focuses intently, bringing her powers to the fore and the rescue once more. The van lands in a crumpled heap, blocking the others in pursuit and allowing the gang to make their escape. Yeah! Arriving in a junkyard, Lucas declares Eleven to be awesome and in a touching moment apologises to her. Mike and Lucas then make friends too with a handshake and the crew are back in business. Come on! Joyce and Hopper arrive at the police station where Jonathan has been arrested. The cops find weapons and traps in the boot of his car. When Hopper asks for an explanation, Jonathan says he wouldn't believe him. Brenner and the agents from the lab visit Mike's home. Mike's parents, Karen and Ted, are questioned and shown a picture of Eleven. Karen becomes hysterical, angry at the intrusion and possibility that her son is in danger. Brenner watches, and in a tone that sits somewhere between comforting and menacing, explains that Mike is in real danger and they should tell him where he might have gone. Back at the junkyard, plans to get into the lab are disrupted when a helicopter comes into view. The gang hurriedly stash their bikes and take refuge in an abandoned bus. At the police station, Jonathan and Nancy tell Hopper about the monster. Joyce and Jonathan argue, with Joyce horrified that her son put his and Nancy's life on the line. An irate mother enters the building, shouting about a kid breaking her son's arm. Hopper approaches and sees the bully Troy and his mother demanding action. Just as he's about to leave it to his officers, however, Hopper is stopped in his tracks by the description of Troy's attacker, a girl with no hair. Troy then tells him she has powers and is always with Mike, Lucas and Dustin. Elsewhere, Steve and Tommy scuffle after Steve loses his temper over the insults about Nancy. Steve jumps in his car and speeds away. Agents are still swarming over the wheeler house and Chief Hopper looks on from afar. He persuades Nancy not to go over there. She worries about Mike, but Hopper points to the helicopter circling overhead, stating they haven't found her brother yet. In the car, Jonathan tells Hopper, Nancy and Joyce that he might know how to find him. They arrive at Joyce's and retrieve Will's transistor radio. The gang are still holed up in the bus when Nancy's voice comes through their own radio. Distrust takes hold and Mike refuses to answer, worrying Nancy might be being forced to speak to them. Hopper tries to, but to no avail. But just as it seems that the plan is a washout, Mike responds. As the gang in the bus wait for Hopper, Dustin becomes increasingly tense, reminding his friends about the treachery of Lando Calrissian in The Empire Strikes Back. It's a fair point. His worries suddenly seem very real as two cars arrive on the scene and armed men in suits climb out. Just as one of the men tentatively goes to enter the bus, he's knocked out. The gang listen to the sounds of fighting outside before a heroic hopper enters to whisk them away. 
Mike and Nancy are reunited at Joyce's house. Inside, the boys explain the upside down to Hopper, Joyce, Jonathan and Nancy, telling them Will is hiding there and that the gateway in is at the lab. Eleven tries to reach Will and Barb through the radio but fails. She says she will be able to find them in the bath. The bath? What? A call is made to the teacher and AV club guru, Mr. Clark, where Dustin asks the requirements for a makeshift sensory deprivation tank. Ah, oh, the bath. In the hall of the school, a kiddie pool is set up and filled with water and de-icing salt. Joyce thanks Eleven for what she's about to do, saying she'll be there for her. Eleven climbs in and enters a trance state. She's alone in a dark place and quickly finds Barb's body. Shocked, Eleven screams the word gone over and over. Back in the hall, Nancy reels as, floating in the pool, Eleven repeats the word and begins to hyperventilate. In the darkness, a distraught Eleven hears Joyce calming her. She sees Will's homemade den, Castle Byers, and pulling back the covered door finds Will curled up on the floor. Eleven tells him his mum's coming. Will opens his eyes and weakly replies, hurry. As Eleven comforts him, the scene suddenly vanishes and plunged into the darkness she panics, sitting bolt upright and awake back in the pool. After events at the school, Hopper and Joyce decide to break into Hawkins' lab to rescue Will, but are apprehended by armed guards. Jonathan and Nancy plan to kill the monster, sneaking into the police station to retrieve their weapons and also grabbing a fire extinguisher for good measure. Whilst back in the upside down at Castle Byers, Will is singing, his voice cracked and scared. The song is broken as the monster begins to tear his castle down. In an interrogation room under Hawkins' lab, Joyce is screaming to be let out. Dr. Brenner points out that the monster has taken six people in the last week, and if Joyce doesn't help him figure out the monster's behaviour, they'll never be able to save Will. Joyce tells him he can go to hell. In another room, Hopper is uncooperative until they threaten him with a deadly injection. He offers them another solution. Let him and Joyce go to the Upside Down, and they'll get Will back. Brenner gives them protection suits and points them towards the portal, expecting them never to return. Nancy and Jonathan head off to fight the monster on their own, they rig Jonathan's house with bear traps and trip wires and then cut their hands open to lure the monster with their blood. In the Upside Down, Hopper and Joyce search for Will. Joyce struggles to breathe normally until Hopper calms her down, using a technique he once used on his daughter. The boys and Eleven are hiding in the school gym, but Dustin wanders off in search of pudding. Kids, eh? When Steve turns up at Jonathan's house to apologise, he sees Nancy inside with her bleeding hand bandaged. When he barges in and demands to know what happened, Nancy pulls a gun on Steve and tells him to get out. The lights start flickering, the ceiling collapses, and the monster crawls in. They shoot it ineffectively and sprint out of the room, but the monster stalks towards them and disappears. It avoided their traps. Nancy tells Steve to run away while he can. He does. In the upside down, Hopper finds a huge egg. It's ominously empty. Joyce finds Will's fort, but that's empty as well. On the ground, Hopper sees a stuffed lion toy which reminds him of his daughter's cuddly tiger. It was the toy she clung to as she died of cancer. Joyce's shout brings him back to the present. The lights in the buyers go out and the monster appears behind Jonathan, knocking him down. It opens its mouth and is about to eat him when Nancy distracts it with a hail of bullets. It rounds on her as the gun falls empty, but before it can attack her, Steve reappears and slams a nail-filled baseball bat into the monster's chest. The monster falls backwards into a bear trap and they set it on fire. When they extinguish the fire though, nothing is left but the monster's sizzling blood. 
Joyce and Hopper find the shadow version of her house drawn by the monster's shrieks. They set off following its trail of blood. At the school, Dustin finds a hoard of chocolate pudding, leaving Eleven alone with Mike. He uses this moment to tell her that Eleven will live with him after all this is over. He also asks her to the school snowball dance and sneaks a cheeky kiss, just as Brenner and his men arrive to snatch them. Talk about a buzzkill. The gang run but are cornered. Eleven uses her powers to freeze the men. Blood pours from their eyes before they fall to the ground dead. Eleven collapses as well. Brenner finds Eleven. He has the boys grabbed and promises to take her home again. The lights flicker. All the blood on the floor has attracted the monster. It punches through the wall and Brenner's men open fire as the boys carry Eleven to safety. Brenner is not so lucky. The upside-down school is decorated with the monster's victims embedded in the walls. That's where Joyce finds Will, a tentacle forced down his throat. Hopper pulls him free and yanks the tendril out, leaving it writhing on the ground. The boys hide in the science room and Mike comforts Eleven. Everything would be better soon, he promises. The gunfight gets closer as the monster breaks down the door. The boys use their slingshots and rocks against it. One shot by Lucas goes straight down the monster's mouth and it seems to fling it against the chalkboard. But it was Eleven using her powers. She's back. She walks up to it, staring it down as her nose bleeds. She says goodbye to Mike and unleashes her full power against the monster. The Demogorgon explodes into dust. And so does Eleven. Hopper uses the memory of what the doctors did to his daughter as she died to resuscitate Will. To everyone's relief, Will begins to breathe. Will wakes up in a hospital bed with Jonathan and Joyce beside him. Mike, Lucas and Dustin rush in and begin to tell him about all their adventures. As Hopper leaves the hospital, a car drives up and he's told to get in. A month later, snow is falling on a festive Hawkins and the boys are playing Dungeons and Dragons again. When Jonathan arrives to pick up his brother, Nancy gives him a new camera and a peck on the cheek. But she returns inside to her boyfriend Steve. Hopper abandons the police Christmas party and walks into the woods. In a hidden box, he leaves a pile of Eggo waffles. At the buyer's house, Will leaves a family meal to go to the bathroom. He stares into the mirror and begins coughing. He retches up a slug that slithers down the drain as he sees flashes of the upside down. See you soon, little fella. Thanks for listening. Hope it's been helpful. Listen, if you've enjoyed this, I would love it if you subscribed. We've got loads more shows where this came from, and we'd love you to join us for them. A five-star review wherever you get your podcasts from would also be absolutely fantastic. If you've got any feedback or ideas for a show that we should be covering, we'll almost certainly be doing the big ones, but you never know. There may be others that we've missed. Let us know. I'd love to hear from you over on Twitter. You can find us at Previous Podcast, or just email us hello at previouslyon.co.uk. Previously On is presented by Jamie East and is a Daft Doris production. Thank you. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.